Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sam Legasic. And I'm Dreadful Dan Gallagher. And we're two old buddies that have lived our life at the edge of the mainstream. So come join us where things are a little... odd. This is the... of yours will be reduced to a burned out cinder. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Podcast Movies, Music and Gaming. And with me, as always, is Dan. Dreadful Dan, how are you? Vegetable rights and peace. <laughs> it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good impression. Boom uh, shanker. How, what is it? Is that? May the may seed, the of, your seed of your loins be fruitful in the belly of your woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's good knowledge. And literally, um, that was the last one I watched of uh, oh, this special episode, which I might as well just straight out say, um, it's not movies, music or gaming, really. Um, but it is the British comedy show of the 80s, known as The Young Ones. Once in every lifetime, love like this. Oh, I need you, you need me. Oh, my darling, can't you see? Young ones, darling, we're the young ones. The young ones shouldn't be afraid. should say before before we even start going into it have you been uh what have you been watching or listening to any kind of updates on what you've been doing the last week i've been listening to quite a lot of new stuff actually um i'm in a whatsapp group with some friends and we did this a couple of months ago we all picked five albums 
over the course of about a month that we should all listen to. Um, so we just started that again, uh, but we've made it slightly less ambitious this time. Just right. picking three each. I think everyone had enough of each other by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, my friend suggested Beth Gibbons and Ramblin' Man. Mm-hmm. Um, Beth Gibbons from Portishead, you know? Yeah, don't know, but okay. I, I mean, um, no, I do. She's the lead singer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Ramblin' Man is, I can't remember what his name is, but he was the bassist in Talk Talk. But they did this album mm. around uh, the early 2000s. That I did listen to it at the time and I probably wouldn't have appreciated it then. Um, so gave that a listen. That's really good. Really kind of like, um, cause she's like quite a sort of sincere, uh, balladeer really. Yeah. Um, so it was a nice folky kind of, uh, chilled out album. Um, and I've been listening to a bit of Harry Cloud. Um, okay. so I wanted to mention this to you. So Harry Cloud, he's a guy, He's connected with some bands that I like. Um, I think he's friends with Quee and Hepatitis, um, mm. which is all part of this kind of like, you know, noise rock scene uh, around like Los Angeles. Um, and I mean, he saw a, a review I did of a Hepatitis album on my uh, YouTube channel. Oh, uh, this guy. Yeah, you're yeah. telling me. Yeah. So he said, oh, do you want to review some of my stuff? So he sent me some CDs and an LP. Um, so I've been listening to a couple of his albums and today I just recorded a video I'm going to put on YouTube probably in the next few days um, on a couple of his old solo albums and uh, that's going to lead into, I'll do his new LP and maybe we can get him on the show and do a Harry Cloud episode. Mm, that'd be cool. It's weird stuff. It's good though. Um, on Portishead, because um, the main guy of Portishead... Um He's supposed to be Banksy, isn't he? Um, yeah, I've heard that rumor a lot, but I don't think it's uh, true. I don't, uh, don't think so. But why, why don't you think so? They're both from Bristol. You're in I, on it. Well, I know some people who are part of the kind of, um, or were part of like the local Bristol arts scene, um, and they seem to know who it was, and. Right. It's not him, basically. <laughs> okay. Just some guy. <laughs> Just some guy. Um, well, I've kind of been a bit busy on the movie front, randomly. Um, mm. I've, I've watched, I'd never seen it before, but I watched The Fisher King, Terry Gilliam. Have you seen that before? I watched that last year for the first time. Right. What did you think? Um, I thought it was okay. It didn't, it tried to be too many things, I felt. So none of them quite really hit with me. Um I liked all the visual aspects, which, you know, I suppose you would of a Terry Gilliam film. Um, But usually when I've got something like DVD, I hang on to things. I'm, you know, a bit of a hoarder. And that one I actually uh, took it back to the charity shop. Oh, really? What did you think? Yeah, I I liked it more than I thought I would. For some reason, I thought it was like a post-apocalyptic thing. And I don't know where I got that from. Um, And like an end of the world, like, what's it? Um, which it's not about at all. And I was like, this is like a, a drama, like a drama slash kind of dark comedy or whatever. Yeah. Um, the, the woman in it, I was like, this woman is really like really good. Like she's a really good character. Um, she got an Oscar for it. The actress. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, anyway, but yeah, that was, um, I had really low expectations and I'm always a little bit, I think Terry Gilliam is a bit hit and miss anyway, but um, I was quite pleasantly surprised. So even though you... Um, 
you didn't like it. I, my bar, I think, was so low that um, <laughs> I actually was like, all right, this is actually completely different from what I thought it was going to be. It was actually a bit more, not shocking, but like a bit more human, I suppose, is what I want to say, um, than I yeah. thought it would be. And the fact that like, not that this is about <laughs> some podcast being about this film, but Jeff Bridges is such a dick in it. Um, and his whole journey, I thought, was just generally quite interesting. Um, I also saw Midnight Express. Have you seen that? No, what's that? It's the Alan Parker film. And I, I remember it because it was um, a VHS that my parents had um, for, for ages. And it was always like the one film, like the one video case that I was always drawn to because I couldn't watch it. Uh-huh. Um, and I had seen bits of it when I was a kid just through trying to watch it and like staying up late and falling asleep and kind of waking up at certain bits. So there's certain bits which kind of like stayed in my head. Um, but it's it's basically about this guy who gets caught um, uh, transporting drugs. It's, it's based on a true story, but it's a bit loose with the truth. It's written by Oliver Stone. Oh, and right. um, Alan Parker, did I say, directed it? I can't remember his name now. Is it Alan Parker? Um, oh. Alan thingy, anyway, British guy. He did um, like commitments and all that stuff. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, he gets caught, he gets put in a Turkish prison, basically. And it's him, it's about him escaping, pretty much. Um, and Was it good? Yeah, it was really good, but it wasn't, in my head, it was this like ultra violent, you know, um, like 18 film, which I was never allowed. And I thought it was like going to be really gory or like really intense. It wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and like all the like the big gory bits I'd already seen as a kid. So, um, but uh, I quite liked it. I, it was nice, like it felt succinct. You know, it's like films, especially these days, feels too long. Yeah. I was like, that was a good like 90 minute, I think. Maybe it was two hours, I don't know. But like it felt like it was moving fast. Um, Like an express train. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you can tell like Oliver Stone's got his dirty, um, (laughs) you know, Oedipal um, fingers away for it. Um, That must have been quite an interesting experience watching that, having a hazy recollection of seeing some of the scenes as a child. Yeah, yeah. Like there's one bit in particular when he like bites some guy's tongue out. Um, And I remember that. And in my head, it was this like ultra... I mean, it is slightly gory, but it was like, you know, like, wow, this ultra-violent kind of thing. And when I was watching it, I was like, eh, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know, okay, it might have been shocking. Maybe it's shocking at the time, I don't know. Another film I saw was um, Upgrade, which uh, I don't know if you'd heard of before. It's fairly uh, recent. No. It's with, um, oh, what's his name? Logan Marshall Green, who's like a poor man's Tom Hardy, if I show okay. you a picture of him. Um <laughs> And it's set in uh, like the near future and whatever. And he's got a, um, I don't want to spoil it, but basically he gets a chip put inside him, basically. A, a he chip? Becomes like a computer chip, oh, okay. <laughs> not, like a, not like a fishing chip. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, so he becomes like, you know, like almost like Terminator-esque or something. He becomes like ultra powerful or whatever. Mm. Um, and I really liked it. It was basically like a revenge story, but also like the fight scenes were really fucking cool because he's like, he doesn't want to fight or whatever. And he's like, what the hell's going on? And, he, but he's doing all this like cool action stuff, but his face is like, stop it. I don't want to kill these people whilst he's doing all this like cool, <laughs> these cool like action moves. <laughs> and it's really fucking surreal to watch. And the camera work, it like kind of goes with how he goes. So like if he's bending back to avoid a punch, the camera will go bend with him. That makes sense. There's a word okay. for it. And I can't remember. I should know because it's my job basically, but um, there's a word for it. And I can't remember what it's called, but um, yeah, really interesting. And like it had quite a cool, like cyberpunky kind of vibe to it a little bit. Um, it's a bit silly in places, but like good silly. 
Um, yeah, I quite like that. That was a pleasant surprise. Sounds fun. Sounds fun. I'm imagining this guy going around with a, a sort of like soggy chip inserted into his rectal cavity, <laughs> um, sort of begrudgingly taking out people. <laughs> like, I will if I have to, but yeah. I'm not. I'm not enjoying it because I've got a, a fucking soggy chip in my ass. Soggy chip in my ass. Yeah, there could could be worse things there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and with the kids, I watched uh, Home Alone one and two and Phantom Menace, which oh, yes. um, were surprisingly easy to watch. Um, mm. And Home Alone two is a little bit like. There's Tim Curry in it, if you remember. Mm, it's yeah. like, immediately he's like interested in this boy and like trying to sneak up. And I'm like, there's an element of pedoness to this that I didn't even like <laughs> gotten onto like first it's time It's very creepy in it, isn't he? Yeah, it's like, why is he obsessed with this kid for like absolutely no reason? It's like, this kid might be living alone. I'm going to go find out. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Call the police. Like, what does it matter? <laughs> like, it's weird. Um, and I was listening to... Um, uh, new idols tracks so idols are doing a um a thing at the moment where they're doing um like a gig basically a, a live streamed gig they're doing three sets mm-hmm. across two days and you can buy the lot for like 20 quid it's 10 pound per set or 20 quid for all three um and i've bought that but whilst i was like looking around i was like oh because the new album's coming out soon i saw that um he'd done or they had done sorry he as if it's like if it's just joe the one person but the band had done a song um a music video with uh michelle gondry michelle have you said and his and olivia gondry i think it's his son is it his brother i'm not sure well they must be related obviously and um yeah for this uh song called model village which is really cool and yeah i saw that as well actually yeah, it's a good song. Um, I quite like it. It's a, it's a bit like, it's not amazing. But um, yeah, the video is pretty cool. Uh, and that's it. That's what I've been listening to and watching, basically. Um, so yeah, so it's a, a, long, a long one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for anyone listening, I would. I think Upgrade's just come out on Netflix. And I've, I reckon check it out. You know? Quite cool if you like that kind of thing. Sci-fi, bit of action. Um, yeah, it's got Sounds some good like fights. A, a modern day Robocop meets Mad Max. Yeah, it's a little bit. Not the Mad Max bit so much, but oh. yeah, like a modern day Robocop. <laughs> um, even though there was a modern day Ro- Robocop and it was awful. Um, <laughs> so, Dan, let's get into it. Um, yes. And let's, let's take a bit of a break and then we're going to talk about the TV series The Young Ones. You all really hate me, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Yes, we do, Neil. <laughs> that is when we can remember who you are. <laughs> um, thingamajig. <laughs> so, Dan, young ones, why don't you talk me through your your personal relationship with this TV series? <laughs> um, I absolutely loved this and was obsessed with the young ones when I was a kid. Um, probably from around sort of like the age of about 10, 11 um until well into my mid-teens um and my cousin really liked it as well so whenever like they'd come around like every other weekend or something we would just watch episodes of the young ones and had them all on tape i reckon i've watched each episode probably in excess of 50 times each um it was kind of to me it was probably what i was like my first big obsession before i got into music (laughs) um you know, I wanted to have, at the end of the um, Series 2 credits, you get this, like, picture of the uh, silhouettes of their faces, and I wanted to, like, paint that on my wall. Um, and I was just, 
I just thought it was absolutely fantastic and I could reel off all the quotes. I think it was just so, I just found it so much fun. It was just so, so funny. Um, and as well at that time, I think part of that is that there wasn't that much information available about it. Um, so I found it this kind of like mysterious thing that happened before, you know, before I was, well, not before I was born, but before I was conscious, I think. Um, and, you know, not like today, we can just like go online and log on and check out all the facts and stats about it and hear everyone talk about it and pontificate. People weren't talking about it in the uh, early 90s. It still seemed a little bit like a kind of fringe thing. So I think I thought it was quite cool. Um, and all that madcap kind of anarchic comedy, insane violent slapstick, um, I think it's all really appealing to <laughs> someone at that age. Yeah. It's, you're the kind of one, I believe, who kind of got me into it, um, which is probably okay. a surprise, seeing as you <laughs> had a love for it. But yeah, I don't really, I remember, um, I always associate it with you, basically. Um, so if I had seen it before, I probably wouldn't have been watching it at the frequency I would have had it not been for you, if that makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> um, and as well, like, it was a bit weird because <clears throat> at that time, Whilst we were growing up, like it was bottom, bottom yeah. was bottom was on, yeah. So we were watching a lot of bottom, and yeah, young ones was like, yeah, yeah, this thing. But like, I, um, yeah, as I kind of watched more of it, and I suppose as I got older, I kind of liked young ones more. I think because it's more surreal. Um, that's why I think I like it more than bottom, and it feels a bit more varied as well. If that makes sense. Um, but for anyone that doesn't know what Young Ones is or anything about it, uh, how would you describe it? Um, wild, reckless, um, unrefined situation comedy. Um, I think at the time, everyone involved in making it was kind of doing it for the first time. Um, so it's got that hallmark of kind of like just let's throw a load of stuff at the wall and see what works. Mm. So sometimes things fall flat, but, um, you know, you've got so many different types of humour in there. You've kind of got, you know, classic old slapstick, although taken to its most violent extreme. You've got some political and social satire. You've got just plain silliness. Um, you've got surrealism. You've got some like mm. visual prop gags. Um and you've also got uh, the musical aspect as well, because pretty much every episode, I think Spare One, mm. um, had a musical guest performing a song in the middle of the episode. But, so what, but what is it, Dan? But what what is the show? Well, it's the young ones. <laughs> yeah, but what's the setup? What's the, what's the story? What's the plot? No one's. I haven't oh, seen okay. it before. What is it? You've I've got, been. I've, I'm not British. I'm American, and we haven't. Don't even know what this is. What is it? It's a sitcom um, <laughs> <laughs> from the 80s. And it follows the trials, tribulations of principally four students. Um, and the other core character is uh, a variation each week on their landlord. Um, so these four students, they're kind of archetypes you've got the kind of like late 60s hippie 
you've got the mid seventies punk, you've got uh, the reactionary sort of um, Thatcher, you know Thatcher's Britain kind of uh, leftist, yeah, anarchist mm. wanna wannabe, mm. um, and you've got this guy who's just a kind of like sleazy kind of he's meant to be really cool um but he's not mm. so it's them having madcap adventures every week really with yeah. a whole host of other actors of the day uh making lots of guest appearances yeah well, it's, it's basically them mates so it's I, I kind of looking back looking back at it um it's kind of like a take on a nuclear family in a sense of like mike's the dad yeah. And Neil is basically the mum. Yeah. Um, which I didn't really understand until earlier. But yeah, the, the people behind it are very vocal that like Mike, he he's the least interesting character, I would say. But the point, not that there's anything, um, not that he's boring to watch or anything like that. But um, wow. he's definitely the kind of the parent figure in, in more ways than one. Um, which I think kind of brings it, yeah, which kind of gives it like not an anchor because he's just as like weird and stupid as the rest of them, but um, almost as if there's like an adult supervising all this or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, um, it gives it a, it gives it like a weird um, dimension to it, as if like all this craziness is going on, but at least there's like an adult there. <laughs> yeah, he he. I mean, he kind of pushes around and bullies them a bit as well. Um, mm. But I suppose that's one of the kind of aspects of it that is conventional in that you have got a kind of nuclear family unit at the centre of this. Um, Vivian and Rick as well, like like the bickering children, yeah. of course. Mm. Um, Vivian always plays up to Mike. Mm. Um, and yeah, well, Vivian like and Mike have this up. weird, like, yeah, respectful relationship with each other, which is surreal in its in itself they like for some reason seem to like respect one another <laughs> i like the way i don't know if you saw um but there's a few instances where vivian will get money a couple of notes and he'll share it with mike and the way they share it is they tear it straight down the middle <laughs> split it like that <laughs> brilliant um yeah i guess like a bit of background do you want to fill us in on how the, how the kind of young ones came to be. I didn't yeah. research myself, but yeah, you might want to take us through it. Yeah, I'll start and chip in. Um, so really, this goes back to like late 70s. Um, should we start with the comic store? A uh, comedy store, sorry. Comedy store, yeah. Well, a lot of them I know went to like Manchester Uni and they're yeah. all like uni mates basically um, for the most part. But then, yeah, they went to the comedy store in london which um for people who don't know well they've got it in america as well but um it was the the place basically for it still kind of is to a degree but obviously it's it's in soho well leicester square um and yeah, yeah it's, it's much more commercial now obviously it's like the number one comedy club rather than just being some shitty little weird, <laughs> weird yeah they all say it was really seedy back then when it first opened um mm. It was it was basically like transported wholesale from the American version, um, and nothing like that apparently had existed before in Britain. This idea of a whole uh, comedy club—it was really just you know 
the uh, working men's circuit of um, bars and uh, societies. Mm. And there's a certain type of comedy in the UK associated with that uh, circuit. Um, Racist, mainly. (laughs) Big, fat, old men in bow ties telling racist jokes and like... Yeah, non-PC, should we say. Um, Sweating profusely. (laughs) <laughs> all this stuff yeah that kind of classic old old style comedian entertainer an all-round entertainer um uh, yeah just horrible so this kind of i think gave a venue for budding new comics to just try stuff out and like you said some of these comedians that were trying stuff were coming from not the traditional place uh, you know, they were coming more from you know, back in the day, it was guys coming up from working men's clubs and then people who had been to Oxford or Cambridge. But now you're getting people from other universities and people from like more of an arts background giving it a go. And you get, uh, you know, because of the politics of the day, you know, 1979, I think, was when Thatcher was elected. Mm. Um, so everyone's a bit more socially and politically engaged and that's all feeding into their work. So you get this kind of new type of comedy which was branded alternative comedy because it was the alternative to the mainstream stuff um but really it was just like a group of disparate um stand-ups that were all kind of uh gravitating around um this new uh comedy store um and some of the big names in there were uh, alexi sale was the main one really he was like the compare of the comedy store um arthur brown who was kind of an older comic who again didn't really like fit in but this is the point like there wasn't an agenda there wasn't this kind of like super liberal um let's kill kill the uh, old wave of comedians idea it was just people banding together so arthur brown was a big part of that uh french and saunders um 20th century coyote which was rick mail and adrian ebenson mm-hmm. um and The Outer Limits, which was Nigel Planer and Peter Richardson. Um, and that was the core group that actually then broke away from the comedy store and became the comic strip. Yeah. Um, and within the acts that Rick and Aid were doing, Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson, um, you start to see, I think, the like beginnings, the seeds of the character that would become Rick in The Young Ones because he was doing this people's poet character yeah. um, who would come out and just do really, really bad um, poetry, sort of um, highly politicised or takes on uh, society. But it was just really bad. And he, but he would be so passionate. And as the uh, audience like, kind of laugh at it, he gets angrier and angrier. Um, it's pretty basic, but the way I think Rick performed it is what uh, makes it work. And by the time it got to the young ones, it was a really well-developed character. I think probably the the most layered character in the young ones. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was, um, just to kind of, yeah, kind of expand a little bit from what you were saying, like part of, um, so the comic strip was part of Channel 4. Now, for people who don't know, you've obviously got your BBC, you had BBC One, you had BBC Two then as well, I believe, um, and you know ITV, Channel Three, whatever, and then Channel Four. But Channel Four was the new channel that was basically really hungry for content, and also was just seen as this. It wanted to like come in kicking and screaming, right? So like, it wanted to be fresh and new and young and hip and all this stuff. 
And so, yeah, so that's kind of why they brought on um, Comic Strip, right? Because this is like this new wave of like cool, um, hip comedians, basically, yeah. that um, they want some footage for. Some, and what had actually happened, I believe, I might I might be wrong to chip in if I'm wrong, but um, uh, the producer, I think his name was Peter Jackson, actually, or something like that. Paul, Paul Jackson. Jackson. That's it, Paul Jackson. Um did uh, a show called um, Boom Boom Out Go The Lights. Do you know about yeah. this already? Yeah. And um, yeah, so, and it was basically like a stand-up show, but with these kind of comedians. Um, and I think a lot of people just thought it didn't really work because it didn't really feel like it was in a comedy club. It was like on a stage and all this stuff and it felt a bit too TV. It didn't really feel right. Um, and so, yeah, they were like, oh, Rick and Lisa Mayer, who was his... Um, partner, uh, writing partner, and also sexual partner. Um, <laughs> they were basically writing, um, uh, like, well, the young ones basically. And then uh, I think literally like Ben Elton like turned up or something like that. And they were like, "Yeah, Ben, do you want to help us write this?" And then that was the first episode of the young ones. But I think if I'm, do you know this already? Yeah, let me just. I was going to rewind a bit though, because. Okay. Um, Jumping ahead a, a bit, because that, that early stuff, where there's still the comic strip, still basically just live acts, like that um, boom, boom, outgo lights was the first attempt, I think, to try and like capture that. Like, there was yeah. a buzz around them. Um, the that was other before comic strip, though, right? That was, they were the comic strip. Yeah, but as in like that. was that like their name as a, a troupe, you know? Yeah, but boom, boom, outgo lights was before comic strip, wasn't it? So you're, well, you're conflating the comic strip, the live comedy troupe or collective with the TV show, the comic yeah, strip I mean, presents. TV show, yes. Yeah. So it's just, just think about them uh, at that point, just, yeah, they're doing their thing live. Um, they did tour as well because after they'd broken them away from the comedy store, it was like tour, I think they toured Australia as well or something. So they were getting a buzz around them. And I think um, Paul Jackson was still relatively. Well, I think he'd been in TV for about eight years, but so relatively right. new. I think, but I think he really wanted to bring it to TV. So that boom, boom, out go the lights was like the first attempt to capture it for a mainstream audience and, and, and push it. And like you say, it was felt it was it was too sanitized. But one of the characters he really zoned in on, like I said, was like this early people's poet that Rick was doing. Um, but he also really liked the Outer Limits. So the Outer Limits, Nigel Planer and Peter Richardson. And Nigel Planer was doing this Neil the Hippie character. And um, Jackson said he really wanted the Rick character and the Neil character. Um, so there was already this focus that they, they would be something, you know, big to expand on in some kind of TV format. Um, but then, yeah, like you say, Rick and Lisa Mayer are working on some other stuff. So everyone wants these guys on TV. Mm. And like you say, Channel 4 are launching. They're desperate to be seen to be right on the edge of like alternative. Because I think, when when was ITV launched? I think we've, we've had three channels. you got to say, again, like anyone not in the UK, you've got to think back. There were only three television channels that you could access yeah. for about 20 years, maybe. Yeah. So when Channel 4 launched, it was like, we're well, going to be the alternative. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so they really wanted to get, like, push the envelope on having some edgy content. So they really wanted the comic strip. This guy, uh, Paul Jackson at BBC, is, is working with them to try and get something out of these guys. So, um, See, I didn't realise that they were, I thought they were called the comic strip for the show. I didn't no. realise that's what they'd called themselves as a collective because I know they're yeah. all in different things and they're all mates or whatever, but I didn't realise they were going around with that name before the TV show. Yeah, and the main head of the comic strip was Peter Richardson. Mm. Um, so basically at the same time that yeah, Rick and Lisa, uh, with, with the input then bringing on Ben Elton, are working on The Young Ones... Peter Richardson's brokering this deal with Channel 4 uh, to do the comic strip Presents, which was going to be like a series of kind of one-off films, uh, comic films, and he would use the comic strip guys as actors and actresses. Um, so then it's quite interesting what happens here because there's obviously a bit of like a, a bit of a space race to get them on TV first, and Channel 4 just pip them at the post. Because the first night of Channel 4, 2nd of November, 1982. Um, I was there for it. You weren't, Sam. Happened <laughs> <laughs> in that yeah. brief window where I was... Still I was... <laughs> um, so, yeah, first opening night of Channel 4, they had the first comic strip presents, which was called Five Go Mad in Dorset. Um, the first episode of The Young Ones didn't air until a week later on the 9th of November, 1982. That's weird, um, isn't it? That you never like kind of two similar things with the same people. I mean, similar to a degree, but like at the same at the same time, it's very strange. On two different channels, yeah. yeah. To, of to, of half the channels, really. Yeah. <laughs> so the only thing that was missing, though, from the young ones, uh, in my opinion, is Peter Richardson. Because mm. um, Christopher Ryan, who plays Mike, was not part of that that um gang mm. and peter richardson was supposed to be uh mike and when you think about when i when i first found that out and i think about that mike character um and the type of characters that peter richardson plays it just makes total sense you can see it's been written for him yeah um and i think he would have imbued it and like owned it uh, a lot a lot more um He's just got that kind of like ability to deliver cheesy stuff with a degree of panache in a way that's still funny. Yeah, there's um, an element of like, I don't know, like, like con confidence, con man, I want to say, but like, yeah, that sleaze as well. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Christopher Ryan just doesn't, he just doesn't seem to. I always, as a kid, I was like, I don't understand why, like, a lot of his stuff just fell flat to me. Mm. Wasn't funny. Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, it, yeah it's, it was just like a bit, it, I think when I think back to it, he stands out a lot and it's not just because of like an age thing. It is a character thing as well, but also it's like, doesn't feel like it fits. And I think the fact that these guys have performed together so well for so long, um, yeah, there's like a kind of chemistry there that maybe he's not that he's doing like a bad job or anything like that but it just doesn't doesn't feel like it flows as neatly as what it should do and i also think i, I want to say like i think he was like an actor actor um mm. if i'm reading that right um maybe yeah because yeah, didn't um who else who was it that was was it timothy spool had auditioned for it as well 
Oh, really? And, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he done apparently he done a good job, but his um, because he had quite like a hangdog face. There was something yeah. that he looked too similar to Neil, like Nigel Plain or whatever. There's like, yeah, yeah they, they have like a too similar a face, so we can't we can't use him. Um, <laughs> apparently, anyway. Um, yeah, it's a shame yeah, about Peter Richardson though. Um, apparently, well, apparently, that was because of some. Yeah, go on. Yeah, apparently it was a clash with um, Paul Jackson, mm. who even he says he has quite a fiery temper. So I imagine it was just a person a personality clash. Yeah, I've read um, that. Yeah, read or saw. I can't remember. Like Paul Jackson basically saying that he thinks like it was a situation that um, kind of got out of hand or something like that. Like as in it wasn't that bigger deal or someone said something that wasn't true or something like that um but yeah for whatever reason they just didn't they didn't get on i think it was something like i don't know i can't remember um i didn't even see it that long ago but something to do with paul jackson hadn't brought him on for something else um and that just pissed peter richardson off and Paul Jackson wasn't really aware, but it just ended up they didn't talk anymore or whatever. Yeah. Something, something really weird like that. Um, something petty. Yeah, um, and maybe it, it's yeah, whatever. But um, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a shame, I guess. But at the same time, you know, it didn't still did the job. And I think yeah. Paul Jackson, um, there doing all this stuff and fighting the corner for for these guys, kind of getting on TV in the first place, was was good. Basically. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, which um, you mentioned, you watched a few episodes over mm. the last week in preparation. Yeah, what did you watch? Um, so, I watched. Uh, what did I watch? I watched boring, which is yeah. good. That's um, a good one. And bomb. That's a good one as well. Watch that. Uh, what else did I watch? I watched Bambi. Possibly uh, the best one. Yeah, Cash. Yeah. Time. Nice. Uh, sick and summer holiday. So I watched more. I than watched than loads. I yeah. Um, I uh, you watched, watched that many. I think you watched all my favourite episodes there. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to see um, the ones. Of, uh, the only one I was kind of like, I really wish I'd seen that is um, Demolition, just because that's the first one. Um, yeah. So, um, but also Nasty, because I wanted to see. I wanted to see the damned things. Do you know the story about the damned in this? Uh, no. Basically, they they reformed to do this song specifically to do it on the young ones. Oh, I didn't know that. So they came together. They'd already split up. They came together to do this one song, and then apparently, like um, after they recorded it or whatever, I don't know what the fuck it was. I don't know if it was them in on the studio or if they'd recorded the episode or whatever. But a couple of days later, they were all having like a curry. And Captain Sensible, who we spoke about before on this podcast, apparently had like a top 10 hit at that time. And yeah. he was getting on, he was pissed and basically got on the table and was singing it and just making a big thing out of the fact he had a top 10 hit. And the rest of the band were basically like chucking loads of food at him and telling him to fuck off. Um, and then he got really fucked off with them all and they split up again. <laughs> <laughs> so they got they got back together, did this one song and literally within hours they had a split. <laughs> split I didn't know up. that. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I really want to, I really want to watch it because I didn't, um, any because of that like, story behind it. 
Oh, that is a really good episode as well. I'd say my favourites from the series, first series are probably Boring and Bomb. Mm. Um, and then from the second series, probably Bambi, Sick and Nasty. Yeah. Um, I think generally the first series uh, is a little weaker. Mm. Um, but that first series, so the first series aired from the 9th of November till the 14th of December 1982. Mm. And then there was a big gap. Series two was from the 8th of May, 1984 till the 19th of June, 1984. And so in that time, everyone involved, like cast, crew, writers, um, you know, like we said, they've been working on uh, the comic strip Presents. So that Five Going Mad in Dorset was the first uh, episode, but then they would keep making these um, like as a monthly thing, basically. Um, So everyone's just, I think, a bit more refined and they probably learned a lot about like the jokes that didn't work in the first series. Like, watching it back, there are things that fall flat, um, and lots of weird interludes and humour. Lots of like random things that come in, and it's kind of funny because it's so strange mm. and leaves a strange mood. But at the same time, sometimes that doesn't work and isn't funny, and it just leaves you with this like weird, big pregnant pause. Yeah, um, it's sometimes weird for the sake of being weird, which is fine. We should say that there's only yeah, there's only twelve episodes. So yeah. six in each series. And um, I think also as well for the second one, you're right, like they've become like a bit more professional, all of them, basically. But I think also there was um, the fact that it took a while to get that second series out. Um, like the audience wanted it. I think there was, um, what was it, Paul Jackson went on to work on like the two Ronnies or something in, in the interim. Really? One and two. And it was something like they were getting, I don't know, like, like 10 million viewers or whatever a night, um, wherever the fuck it was. And yeah. they sold like, and then the VHS, they sold like, this is for two Ronnies and they sold like, um, a hundred thousand, whatever, like videos. And they said they wanted to put young ones onto VHS. And he was like, you know, okay, cool. And then apparently it became literally a cult hit, which is why it's perfect for Oddcast. Um, because it got, when it was aired, it got like 3 million or something. Mm. watchers and people hated it by the way mostly like young people loved it um if you weren't young you just didn't get it Um, but yeah it sold like over a million vhs's or something which is unheard of apparently um and so yeah it became like a real like people wanted to watch it again people who liked it loved it basically went out there and bought it um so yeah it definitely had that kind of cult uh following um and yeah so when that second series came about yeah everyone's kind of it's definitely better. You can tell there's like, there's more budget. Um, like they're out of the house more and all this stuff. Like the characters feel a lot more refined. The writing's, mm. the writing's better. Um, but yeah, what I should ask you as well, like Alexia, Alexia, how do you even say it? Alexia Sale? Yes. <laughs> um, Alexia, what's Alexia? I'm thinking of Alexa. That's why yeah. I'm, I'm like, it's Alexia. <laughs> Alexia Sale. Um, when I watched this when I was younger, Whenever he came on screen, I was always like, like whatever, apart from like Dr. <laughs> Martin's boots. But I was always like, I don't like these bits, basically. And now, like, as I'm older, like, every time he comes on screen, I'm like, here we go. Like, whilst I was watching them now, I was like, this, these bits are, might be, like, my favourite bits. Um, oh, really? Some of them, yeah. Um, and I'm like, what, what's changed? I think it's, like, I don't know. What did you think first? What do you think of the, like his stuff? Because he's in the credits and everything. Like he is one of the young ones, even though he's not 
scene as like a because he's not in every scene basically. Um, yeah, he's in he's in every episode though, um, and I think when they were talking about yeah getting these guys on TV, that was part of the package. Was like we want Alexi Sale as well, so he was kind of like written in from the beginning. But I felt the same as you. I always used to think oh we have to have the Alexi Sale bit, and um, mm. it was always this like really high charged kind of sort of pseudo political stuff. Yeah. Um I didn't really ever enjoy his delivery. Um yeah, same now I think I find it a bit more palatable. Um and sometimes, you know, I think when it worked is when they kind of managed to weave him in a bit more. Yeah. Um being a random guy. A random spot. Yeah. So like I watched Sick recently. Um and I think his character in that's good and it works, you know, he's he's part of the the plot he's um and you know he's always a variation on this weird character as well yeah so he's the boy's landlord and he is basically like i think he's bulgarian or something yeah but he tries to appear british by making all these ridiculous kind of pop culture references although in one aside um i think in the first episode actually when as soon as i leave the room he goes I'm not actually Bulgarian, you know. I just uh, I put it on to uh, look sophisticated. Um, so he's actually a British guy doing a bad impression of a Bulgarian to look like he's actually Bulgarian. But that's quite um, relevant to like what's happening, especially today, today's climate. Um, that he plays like these kind of like foreign parts or whatever people with accents, when yeah. actually he's like from Liverpool. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's part of like the human. I like the way he kind of plays up to it because there's a political um, element to it uh, as well. But yeah, apparently he just used to like. They were like, okay, here's the Alexis Sale bit. We don't know what he's going to come in with. Like, let's just see, see where this goes. Oh um, yeah, because he's the only other, other credited writer as well. I think he writes his bit. Yeah, um, yeah, but as well, like he was the kind of like. Uh, ringleader almost of that kind of comedy store like gr- group if you know what i mean like they all everyone like respected him and all this stuff yeah he was very much up to him. yeah and he was very much like the guy in charge but also like very um idealistic about the whole thing very left-wing very like anti-thatcher um yeah. and very surreal as well um yeah and that kind of fitted in that but very outspoken and like very much like this is how it should be like this. I think this is funny. If you don't find it funny, then fuck you basically. Yeah. Um, kind of attitude. Uh, yeah. And I think a lot of people just kind of bow down to that. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> aggressive behavior. Um, but yeah. So did you, what, what did you enjoy it more? His character when he came in or what? Um, yeah, a bit more. Um, I still feel, yeah, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes he just feels tacked on. Mm. Um, He's okay. He's okay. One of my other favourites of him is when he's doing... I can't remember which episode it is now. Um, it might be Cash, where he's basically this like guy dressed up as Mussolini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's in think the cash, police yeah. recruitment centre or something. That's right. Neil so gets kicked like, out of the army one because he's a pacifist. <laughs> then he, yeah, like they a, go kick him to the police. Yeah, because they, they want him to get a job so he gets money. So yeah, it's Cash. It's a dig at the police. The the head of recruitment is basically a uh, fascist. Yeah. Um, but then it kind of quickly like moves into this exploration of the character 
of like, oh, when I was a kid, everyone used to say I look like Mussolini. <laughs> and I think that's probably actually Alexi Sale speaking as Alexi Sale as well. Yeah. Because I can imagine like someone coming up to him in a nightclub when he was like 13 and going, what was it? This is, for, this is for the occupation of... Uh, Crete. <laughs> yeah. That's Headbutting it. him. Ends, yeah. Um, yeah, so I loved all that stuff like a lot more um, than I did way back when, which I found really weird, like, you know. Um, but yeah, I suppose like as well, one of the things, so they had, yeah, as you said, a musical number each week. Um, and apparently that was because uh, for the budget, Paul Jackson was able to kind of, it wasn't deemed a comedy on the BBC books. It was deemed a variety show because they had music in, which means they had more uh, budget to play with. And I think they so had funny, like an extra day in the studio to record because they had <laughs> artists or like, you know, musical talent. So instead of, so they were able to kind of wangle and just use their money basically um, <laughs> in a more effective, effective way. Um, yeah, which is weird, isn't it? Right. So they had like, um, we kind of went over this a little bit last week, but yeah, some of the artists they had like, let's just go through it real quick. They had Nine Below Zero, which were, um, st- I feel like are still playing like to this day in like Kingston or whatever. <laughs> um, that's not Kingston, Jamaica, by the way. That's Kingston upon Thames, which is near where me and Dan <laughs> grew up, but like still playing pubs and stuff. But they were very much the kind of, they were a bit like the jam a little bit, really, weren't they? And that's who I yeah, thought was Squeeze. I was like, oh, is it Squeeze? It's not. So I was thinking it was nine below zero. Yeah, new wavy. Um, uh, and then, yeah, Radical Posture with Alexi Sale. That's when he did his Dr. Martin's Boots songs, that song, which is uh, quite funny. Um, Madness were on it twice. Um, and a lot of people associate Madness with the young ones just for that alone, <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they had the same kind of attitude as well at the time, I think. They were a good fit. Yeah, exactly. A bit silly, a bit, well, literally a bit mad. Um, Dexie's Midnight Runners, um, and God, that was a great, when I was watching that, I was like, oh man, I really loved the 80s music. It was really great. Even like a song like this, which I'd never really listened to. I'm like, man, do you really Which like song it? is it? Um, Jackie Wilson says. Oh yeah, that's a good song. That is good, that is good. It's great. And I was watching it going, fucking hell, this is really good. You never hear it these days. You never get a song like that these days. Do you know the thing about them doing it on the BBC? No. Well, that song. They did, yeah, they did it on top of the pops. And, um... They put up a big picture, not of Jackie Wilson, but of Jockey Wilson, who is a big, fat uh, northern darts player. Right. So they do the whole song, and there's just this picture, random picture of <laughs> Jockey Wilson behind them. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's something they did intentionally or if it was like a production error, but oh, uh, yeah. it's just yeah. one of those great, great memorable moments of uh, British music TV. They must have done it on purpose, surely. Yeah. Surely. <laughs> Um, so a random connection it's not even really to Dexie's Midnight Runners but you know they've got their song Gino yeah so um, because I uh, used to be still kind of am but not really friends with uh, the actor Matt Berry who's quite famous I guess in a way now um, he did a gig once and I went to it and the Gino in question was there he came on to do a musical number with Matt oh Gino Washington yeah, must be. I don't know his surname. I just know he was the guy that Dexie's Midnight Runners did a song on. Yeah, Gino Washington. Who? Oh, so he's really cool, Gino Washington. I actually really like him. And he used to play around here, again, like where 
we're from. Mm. And like my dad said, they used to go and see them play. And it's really good, just like, it's like sweaty, kind of like bluesy hard rock. Right. Really good. Yeah. 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 But he, he was there and like we were chatting backstage afterwards. Oh, cool. Oh, I'd like to meet Gino Washington. Yeah. And a really nice guy. And he goes, this is, this is going to sound really wanky, but I don't care what anyway. But um, he goes, he's like, you know what? You're going to make it. And I was like, okay. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like half fucking cut as well by this point. Um, and I was like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, it's something about you. There's something about you. Yeah. He's like, you're, you're going to, you're going to make it. Um, and I was like, okay. He goes, you know, the last person I said that to, and I was like, no, he goes, Ian Brown. And look where he is now. And I was wow. Like, stone roses, <laughs> like stone roses, Ian Brown. And he was like, yep, that was the last guy I said it to. And look at him now. And I was like, wow, cool. And I remember leaving thinking, fucking hell, yeah, Gino believes in me. And, I was like, <laughs> and then thinking, and then when I wake up in the morning, he's like, he probably said that. He's probably trying to get in my pants or something like that. That's what he says to everyone. But um, there was like this kind of thing in my head going like, maybe, maybe I have got something. Maybe I can do it. Um, and for those who are listening to this, I, I, I never became a famous <laughs> rock star on the, on the same lines being Brown. Um, he didn't also, Ian time. Brown was like famous when he was like, by the time he was like 20. Um, Maybe no. you met him at a children's party. Um, <laughs> but maybe, yeah. maybe, gee, anyway, they didn't put a time limit on it. It's the point, Sam. There's still time there's for still you, time. my friend. There's still time as, as I approach my the middle of my life. <laughs> with one way down and that's being seen becoming senile um uh, what a nice man gino washington yeah was a really nice man um but yeah that was uh that was my story and i was basically afterwards i was like oh i don't know i don't know what this gino guy does and matt said matt was like um you know that dexie's midnight runner song gino it's about him i was like oh, okay um yeah, and that's what I was thinking. I see Dixie's been that one. Anyway, that's a great song, and they played on there. Um, Rig, Rig, and Panic. Who's that? Do you know who they are? R- Rip, Rip, Rig, Rig and Panic. Sorry. Yeah, oh, I don't think they really did. Uh, they didn't trouble the tastemakers much. They're just a bit of a flash in the pan, I think, from the eighties. Right. Okay. Um, then the great one in Bambi, Motorhead. Um, yeah, that's got to be the best musical performance, I think. Yeah. It's just, and it's the most iconic. It's that brilliant moment where halfway through the episode, which you think is just going to be this pedestrian episode about them having to go to the laundrette and they haven't done their washing. And then suddenly there's this like big reveal. Neil's suddenly like, we've got to go to the station to be on University Challenge. Yeah. And Mike just like, music. Yeah. And bam, Lemmy Motorhead playing the Ace of Spades bloody brilliant yeah and it really switches up so what was weird watching that episode back in particular was that i thought in my head that whole episode was university challenge um, yeah when actually it's only like the second half or, or the last third or something like that the rest of yeah. it is yeah them about doing their fucking laundry yeah um and i don't remember any of that bit at all i just put in my head it just got mixed up as another episode it's all really good dialogue though that whole mm. part of the episode i think it's really good yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's in like, I, I thought the whole episode was about University Challenge when it's yeah. not at all. No, no. As um, much of it as like them get on the train getting there and uh, there's only a little bit of it is the actual uh, TV show mm. sequence. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, Ken Bishop's Nice 12. Yeah, so this was just for this episode. Right. Um, 
And you've got members of Squeeze in there. Yeah. Um, Chris Difford and um, who's that chap with the TV show? Jules Holland. Jules Holland. Um, <laughs> um, and you'll recognise other faces popping up in there. Roland Riveron, for example. Do you remember him? No. Uh, he, was, he was a comedian and then he was a TV presenter in the 90s and he always pops up on things. Okay. Um, anyway, it's them doing Bob Dylan's song. They do uh, Subterranean Homesick Blues, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it's just an interesting one. Then The Damned, as we... Uh, about Brilliant. Did a song called Nasty. Amazuli, um, who like romance, which is so 80s. I fucking loved it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's pure, pure, pure fucking 80s. Um, yeah, The Madness again. And John Otway doing Body Talk, which is which is funny because it's shit for a start. But also, I think, I want to say they're doing it live. But um, Vivian says, like, I'm going to make his Body Talk in a minute. Because it's just oh, yeah. such a fucking... Such a dreadful song. And I was just thinking, God, would they be allowed to like, like, is this guy for real or is he a joke? Because this is weird and terrible. It's supposed to be like they're homeless and this guy's got a guitar and he's like slapping his body and all the, oh God. John Otway is, I mean, he's, he's very obscure, but he is considered a kind of cult favourite. Um, and I think he had a big hit, but that's like one of those strange pinnacles where he managed to squeeze himself into the mainstream. Mm. And um, where I live... Um, the the theatre was closed down in in my small town, um, and it's just reopened. It got bought out by like a um, bunch of people, kind of all banded together and bought it. And um, I had a look to see what's on. I was quite excited to have a new centre for the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought oh, it would be it'd be great, but it's very it's still very much provincial. You know, it's just like some really. Like the local amateur dramatics group doing an inspector calls. Anyway, the only musical act is Not doing a three, three night residency coming up. John Otway. So if you want to come and see his body talk, no. Come on, I've gone my own. <laughs> it's the only. It's the only bit of arts and culture happening in Carshalton <laughs> for the next foreseeable year. Yeah, uh, I think you're all right. Um... <laughs> Enjoy, go enjoy it though. Um, yeah. So Dan, you're saying like these were your um, some of your favourites I mentioned there. Um, yeah. So you think is your favourite Bambi? You were saying you reckon it could be, but I mean, that's, oh, it's got so many fun moments in it. That one, but having watched Sick recently, um, it might be that. And I wanted to talk to you about that because I find it quite interesting, like the way it's been constructed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me ask questions about how the other episodes were written. Okay. Because um, this one, more than any other, seems to just go on this kind of like almost stream of consciousness. Mm. There's no overarching story arc, really, on this episode. Things just keep suggesting other things, suggesting other things, and it just kind of goes where it wants to go. I could imagine them all sitting around in the room... And just kind of going, oh, and then this happens. So it starts off with they're all sick. Yeah. Um, it kind of builds, then, I should say, doesn't it? That's the kind of weird thing. Well, it doesn't so much build. It, it, it just keeps moving yeah. off in a new direction. Yeah. So after you've kind of like they've explored everything to do with them being sick, um, Neil um, sneezes out the window and that bogey 
hits a man and there's a disagreement in the street and that leads to a riot in the street. Mm. Um, the riot leads to a dangerous criminal in a police van being released. Yeah. Um, which is the Alexis Sale character. Mm. He takes the boys hostage. Um, at which point Neil remembers that his parents are coming for dinner Yeah, and everyone panics the parents arrive and they're like very conservative upper middle class. And that leads to a discussion about Felicity Kendall and the good life. Yeah. So good life was like really like gentle mainstream comedy of the late seventies. Um, and Vivian goes on a rant about how much he hates it. Um, that then leads to them kind of doing a parody of the good life. Yeah. Um, which becomes extremely surreal. Bit horror. With, yeah. N- Neil gets kind of killed and uh, buried in um, fertiliser and then grows himself. So at the end, there's three Neils. And then the whole thing just presumably ends because they didn't know how to end it, where suddenly this cheesy game show music comes on and it turns out all the boys are just in... Um, an episode of some kind of like, it's called Nice Time. And Alexis Sale and Neil's parents are standing on a stage and there's this cheesy music and and then it all just kind of ends. And so I kind of like thought, but did they just sit in a room and go, oh yeah, and then that would happen. Oh, and then that, naturally then that would happen. Oh, and then that would be a good idea. And just like sparking ideas and just decide to follow them all. Or did they go, look, we've got all these ideas left over that we haven't been able to use in an episode. Should we just cram them all together? Mm. I would say it's more a stream of consciousness that they just yeah. kept going. It's, and I think that's why I like this. Maybe I like young ones maybe more um, than maybe like the other, like bottom, whatever, and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and as well, like uh, why I like it more than a lot of other comedy stuff is because it's still, it weirdly still feels fresh because yeah. of that very reason that it's, you don't know where it's going to go at any point it moves at lightning pace. Like it is constantly doing something, never lets up. Literally you can never get bored of anything, even though it is, yeah, essentially like a sitcom. Um, Like anything could happen uh, at any, at any point, which is great. Um, And yeah, as you said, it's this kind of mix of, of comedy styles. And it's also like, everything's like extreme. So like they, you know, the whole idea of like students living in a, um, dirty you know residency or whatever but like it's like fucking dirty and yeah. it's like <laughs> it's, so it's like run down it's disgusting they all look uh, disgusting everything all of them are stained spotty uh, uh, horrible just that visual ath- aesthetic of like we're not going to make this look nice we're going to make this look disgusting and horrible and like really <laughs> dirty really like lean into that fact of like it is the complete opposite of everything you're seeing uh, on tv at the moment and it still is it still fucking is because no one really Still no one does that. Like, you know, what was that? What is it? Fresh meat or whatever is that student thing with fucking Jack Whitehall, piece of shit. Um, It's awful, but it's like, oh, students. And it's like, yeah, they're the fucking, this is what young ones is trying to go against. It's this bullshit right here. Um, And obviously like it's, you know, it's, it's playing up to that, taking it to the extreme. But yeah, it was doing stuff that like, I think what we haven't really covered is that it was doing things that had never been done on TV before. Um, yes. So it would take like a classic kind of sitcom, sitcom formula um, and format and 
turned it on its head. So like breaking down the fourth wall, like talking directly to camera, to the audience, whatever. No one was doing that really, Um, like in that way anyway. The fact that it was, um, you know, ultra, it was cartoon violence. It was taking slapstick, as you were saying, to the extreme. But it's like things just get smashed, broken, like walls are knocked down. Like it's constant. So that's why, again, it keeps it like, you're just constantly, it's like a visual, like, cocaine or something it's like uh-huh. just this energy it's just vibing all the time you never know where it's going to go something's going to crash smash bash they all like play up to it as well it's like a real like kind of um physicality to it that's constant yeah. um and they really put themselves through a lot of shit <laughs> basically it looks like but it is a sense, like all the humor is like it's juvenile for a lot of it um but it's all like which makes it weirdly like quite innocent so where it doesn't get too like serious or full of itself because it's all like fart and dick jokes or whatever and things like that, schoolboy humour, it kind of adds this weird like um, innocence to it, if that makes sense. Mm. Often um, it's poking like- fun. At, often often it's like character-based though, isn't it? It's bad and it's funny because the character of Rick thinks it's really uh, cutting, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, Rick, one of the things watching this back as well is that it reinforced the thing of, like, Rick Mail was... It's, it's it's not the Rick Mail show, but in a sense, I'm like, this is kind of the Rick Mail show. Like, Vivian's character is great, Neil's character, great. Alexis Nell, great, and all this stuff. But I'm like, Rick is consistently, like, mesmerising to watch yeah. every which from absolutely everything he's doing. So like, when he's just um, reacting to something yeah. being against him, to the words he's saying it, how he's saying, again, his physicality. Um, but he's just like completely magnetic to watch in a way that I'm like, I, I just can't, I, I don't know really anyone else that kind of does that. It always reminds me, you know, that bit in um, Black Adder where he comes in, like I know he's in it a few times, but I always think of the specific one where they're doing like um, Queen Victoria. Yes. Um, Queen Victoria, sorry, Queen Elizabeth. In, um, yeah, in Black Adder 2. That's right, yeah. And he's like called Lord Flashheart. That's right. And he just like he just comes in, he's like fucking fake moustaches falling off. He's just <laughs> saying all this like shit and buzzing about, um, like going completely over the top. Everyone's just like standing there and then he like throws a bomb and fucks off like wearing a dress or whatever. <laughs> and that's it. It lasts for like what, one minute? But it's just yeah. like so much happens and it just does this kick of like pure energy that's like that's only like something that Rick Mill could like he was literally like a once in a generation thing, and I'm I'm like thinking yeah. he did get a lot of recognition from people like us, basically, and especially this side of the pond, because um, the only thing really over there was Drop Dead Fred, which yeah, I don't think is kind of really a true represent. Like it is like classic no. kind of Rick Mail in a sense, but at the same time, I'm like this isn't this it's is weird. W- it's like Hollywood Rick, and it doesn't. But really it's very work. one note. It's the wacky side. Yeah, you're right. With with, with not, none of the other uh, depth. Yeah, it's more. It's kind of like that Jim Carrey thing, almost of like just bounce off the walls. It'll be great. So yeah, Rick Mel really was like, uh, yeah, like a once in a generation like gift that was given to to comedy. And you know, I know it's one of those. Like I was thinking, oh, is it going to be like rose tinted glasses a bit? Looking back at all this and thinking Rick's dead. So you know, am I going to pay him? more lip service for the fact that it's like, oh, he's so amazing when, you know, he was actually just all right. And you know what I mean? But when I was watching it back, I was like, 
Now he is like fucking amazing in it. Um, so good. Like he's definitely by far, as you were saying, the most the better character, like this kind of thing, like middle-class basically he thinks he's like, you know, working class revolutionary anarchist, like pseudo intellectual lefty fucking university student. Um, he's basically like, it's completely an arrogant prick. Um, yeah, totally obnoxious. Yeah. And like, yeah, thinks he knows all this stuff and that he's like better than everyone else when he's not, he's just some spotty little nerdy student. And I love the fact it's like, he's like the thickest one or whatever. I think when they get the results or everybody comes last or something <laughs> like that and all this stuff, it's like they play into the fact that he's the complete opposite of what he thinks he is. Uh, um, yeah. Which is great. He's such a great fucking character and just, yeah. Um, it's, it's funny. Amazing. I totally agree. Um, it's funny to think that he and, you know, Ben Elton and Lisa Mayer wrote this and uh, presumably then they wrote all the dialogue for the other characters. Yeah. Which is really strange to me. I mean, I've always known that was the case, but I mean, they seem, they're, they're so unique, those characters. I always feel like they are just speaking, you know, they're written by the comedians. Acting as they would be. Right. Yeah. And especially with like Neil coming out of a character that Nigel Plain had developed himself. Mm. The fact that they were able to write for that character so convincingly um, and then the actors make it their own. I, was, I, I can never imagine like Rick Mayo sitting down and like writing some of that like Neil dialogue, for example. Mm. It just feels so of Nigel Planer. Um, but I mean, presumably that's partly then why the Rick character is so well developed and realized yeah and Vivian totally as well it. yeah i imagine he wrote a lot of the vivian stuff after rick I, and Dade. I can imagine yeah rick writing the vivian stuff mm. yeah it's great though it really is good what i love as well is that ben elton apparently when he handed in the pilot um script or whatever the bbc bigwigs were like we don't get it like this doesn't make any sense and he, ben elton had to write an essay Apparently it's what it was worth with an essay <laughs> explaining why it was funny. Imagine no. having to do that. Yeah. That's so good. Um oh, it's so funny. Brilliant. I'd like to read that. Yeah. Um but yeah, so there's loads of like, you know, we're kind of talking about what made it different as well. There's loads of like weird cutaways. Like at one point, I can't remember which one it is, it cuts to like a box of matches on the shelf and it's like it just talks, like everything talks. Everything's like, was it anthropomorphized or whatever? Yeah. Um just talks going, I don't know why you're looking at me. I'm irrelevant. And he just continues on the scene. <laughs> weird uh, stuff like weird. that. There's one bit where like Neil's talking and you're thinking this picture looks a bit funny. And then you realise like they filmed a TV of Neil talking and someone's like r- putting pen over the top of it, um, which is great. Uh, There's loads of like, they take the piss out of the BBC, like that good life thing. They like do the good life credits, then Vivian, you know, rips it down. Um, yeah. and all this stuff like they really play into into that whole thing and there's one bit with like when Ben Elton's like dancing going hey you know this show is for the kids right kids and we're all cool and then the, it cuts to the woman standing oh, so <laughs> by good. the light she's like you're probably wondering why I'm up here but that's because this is what we do we like to shock or something like that um, and yeah Vivian puts his foot uh, Vivian I think it's Rick actually whatever like smashes the TV up but it's like that was kind of like yeah, that's what the the BBC think. Like us youthful kids want to watch when actually they're watching this stuff and they want they fucking hate those type of shows. And I was yeah. thinking, all this stuff is still relevant. 
Absolutely. And I think taking the piss out of like reality TV shows and like, um, you know, like the fly on the wall crew who are two flies on a wall recording another fly on the wall, (laughs) all this stuff. I thought it was great. That's that little cutaway. But yeah, the way it's like taking like game show formats to the extreme, like was it the medieval torture one or whatever? Oh, yeah. Um, it was really funny. <laughs> I love uh, that. Um, but yeah, it's still stuff that I'm just like, man, fucking hell, it's still like, st- still relevant today. And and it's still, you can feel it's angry. Mm. You know, for as much of us kind of like puerile and silly and surreal, there is some angry satire in there. I think that's probably Ben Elton brought that. Mm. Um, but I like that there's that, a bit of edge to it. Yeah. Yeah, so do I. Um, it's just such a brew of all kinds of different stuff. And I think, you know, the fact that there didn't seem to be any boundaries in the writing, mm. because there's this, you know, surreal element, they could do whatever they wanted. And um, you know, especially with the violence as well and, and, and uh, you know, cause and effect, everything's like uh, a comic. It's comic book violence. Yeah. So, they, again, they can do whatever they want. I think the young ones themselves, I mean, they'll get maimed and probably killed several times throughout the 12 episodes mm. um, and are able to just <laughs> come back. They get, they all get killed at the beginning, uh, sorry, at the end of the first episode by a, a, a plane crashes on the house. Oh, right. And then, the, so the, the first episode is actually the pilot. Yeah. And then when it was commissioned, they just, well, we'll use that as the first episode. And then the beginning of the second episode sees them um, in a rare piece of continuity moving into their new house. <laughs> I didn't realise that. That's great. Uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of, as you say, like as well, we kind of touched upon it, but um, there's a lot of actors in this. And it is very British as well, I should say. Um so there's like Hale and Pace, who like don't, no one's going to fucking have heard of now. Um, <laughs> French and Saunders. I love that bit <clears throat> where uh, yeah, Jennifer Saunders is playing playing this woman who's actually like a psycho serial killer or whatever. And there's just this whole like monologue she has where she's just like, <laughs> um, where they're like, oh, what's your name? She's like, I promise you won't laugh. It's so embarrassing. I'm like, no, no, we won't laugh. Whatever. Oh, I just don't know if I should say it. Like, no, what is it? It's, like, it's Helen. <laughs> she goes on about how um it's lucky her surname isn't um uh back or whatever and it's actually mucus or whatever stupid stuff like that it's like yeah so ridiculous but yeah you've got french and saunders uh helen pace you've got um Fry and laurie um you've got emma thompson's in it especially that one and that's also like one of the things with that episode in particular they take the piss yeah. out of the um uh, footlights. footlights which for people that don't know basically um, like you know, Monty Python and all this stuff was part of it, which is a part of like the um, Oxbridge, I suppose. Uh, was yeah. it just Oxford or was it Oxbridge? I think it was Ca- uh, was it Cambridge? Was it just Cambridge? Oh, oh, whatever. Remember. Like Oxford, Cambridge, which are the two like prestigious, really, all the posh, the university that the posh people go to, and you have to be super smart, whatever, to get in and super rich. And um, there is a comedy thing there that has been going for decades, and all the best inverted commas like comedians come from there um and yeah but the idea is that it's like posh it's where like you're posh and you're funny and you can afford to do comedy um so like people um so they're kind of taking the piss out of it in that episode and uh i thought that was quite interesting because obviously a few of those people were 
in yeah. lights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're playing Brian up. Brian Laurie. Yeah, exactly. And we're playing up to this um, image of themselves uh, as well, um, which is weird. Yeah, what did you think about that? Um, well, I'm not that surprised. I'm sure they're pretty um, self-effacing people. Good sense of humour. Mm. Yeah, I, I, because I didn't even realise. Like, that's, again, watching it with fresh eyes. I was like, I just thought it was like Oxford or whatever. I didn't realise it was like fucking Footlights, was it? Like literally talking about the comedy scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, who else? Robbie Coltrane's in a few as well, isn't he? Again, people, yeah. like he was a big deal over here anyway. He did a lot of comedy and he was in a series called Cracker, which was very su- successful here, but people just know him as Hagrid um, <laughs> for the <laughs> Harry Potter films. Um, uh, yeah, Lenny Henry. Lenny Henry, yeah. Plays Smith and Jones. Nazi. <laughs> Nazi postman. Nazi postman. Yeah, Smith and Jones. Yep, Smith and Jones. Yep, again. Um, um, but all, basically, like all the all the names that were involved in comedy uh, were in there. Andy mm. Delator, uh, Arthur Brown, the other name from the comic strip. Yeah. He's in it a few times, I think. Um, who else is in it? I love the way we were talking about Grange Hill last week as well. And they, they have a Grange Hill bit in it, taking the piss out of the fact that, you know, it's like, why must you kids all be insubordinate and talk cockney? But sorry, we're the only kids that don't say f- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yeah, it does that's... play on that, as you were saying, like with Good Life, the fact um, it plays on what being British is, like the reality of being British. So, you know, the kind of like scummy shops and high streets and whatever, and the fact that they've literally Vivian shouting like he hates how it's portrayed as like this lovable middle-class eccentric lifestyle or something. And it's like, that's not Britain. Yeah. That's not what, uh, you know, it's like not that young ones is essentially what it's like, but um, the way it's like, you know, we were talking about before, it's all like dirty and gritty and stuff like that, rather than this lovely clean middle-class representation of like good old british comedy um yeah it's really great it's really good isn't it funny that there haven't really been that i can think of any sitcoms since um that have kind of used a similar format Mm. Uh, you know it was so successful but i mean i don't think i can't think of any sitcoms that have a band in the middle of an episode Mm. have a musical element like that or any that have been quite so surreal, maybe the Mighty Boosh, the mm. Push. Yeah, not in a comedy sense. Yeah, so mm. like Tim and Eric are like I'm with my kind of like staple surreal, but actually funny because a lot of things sometimes are just surreal. Like I don't know, talk about Mighty Boosh. I actually really liked Mighty Boosh. Keep in mind, as well, I was actually friends, not fielding for a while. But he brought on he he did his own show right, which was called. Um, like Noel Fielding's Magic Bus or some fucking shit, whatever it was. Um, and he did it without Julian Barrett, his writing partner. And you think, and it's like, oh, okay, so Noel Fielding brings the like surrealness to Mighty Boosh, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's just purely surreal, it's just not funny because you just realise there's, no. there's no jokes. It's like, you know, you need jokes as well as the surrealness, which, and the mix of the two is what makes it great. Um and yeah, I think he doesn't do anything anymore. I oh, know he does British Bake Off, doesn't he now? Yeah. Um, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he looks very strange now. Um, but yeah, Mighty Boosh is something that's kind of surreal. Um, but British sitcom wise, nothing. 
No, I mean, the closest would obviously be what they went on to do after, but, you know, it didn't have the same not, yeah, heady, not. heady brew of uh, total reckless abandon, that sense of chaos that, that the young ones had. Yeah, exactly. There's no, And it's just not, it's not got that energy and it's not, it's not really taking as many risks. It feels like it's a bit more like they're more professional. So I guess, should we talk about the, what, young ones went what on happened to do, after. basically. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a few things that I didn't know about actually. So. Well, hold that thought and let's take a break. Oh, haha. Well, thank goodness I haven't got to stay here all summer with you ghastly so-and-sos. I can't wait to get home. Oh, sorry, Rick. Yeah, I forgot to tell you. You had a phone call this morning. Did I? Oh, it's probably for money. Wanting to know what time train I'll be getting. <laughs> Honestly, she gets so overexcited when she hears I'm coming home. She's probably started making scummy shepherd's pies already. Actually, Rick, I don't think she'll be making any more shepherd's pies. And Daddy, I mean, all right, so he's an old square. And maybe he does vote Tory, but he's got where he is today by hard slog. And he's got to put tax concessions first. <laughs> Daddy's just going to be chuffed to bits when he hears about my exam results. <laughs> Touch wood. <laughs> of course, we argue about politics and things all the time. <laughs> Did he ask about my exams? Uh, I don't think so, Rick. Uh, well, he wouldn't be able to, really. I wonder if they've redecorated my bedroom. Because <laughs> they're always on about wanting to do it, but I'll never let them do it. Rick, your parents died this morning. I mean, I suppose it's a bit childish to have aeroplanes on your wallpaper, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, they are blue, you know, and I am a boy. At least I was the last time I looked. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess you'll be spending summer here, like the rest of us. I can't believe it. My parents are dead. You think that's bad? <laughs> yes, I do, actually. What's it to you, piss-face? <laughs> Shut up. You're ruining my holiday. Ruining your holiday? What about my holiday? Both my parents are dead! The selfish bastards! <laughs> I was going to spend the whole summer with them! How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, 
and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So um, after the second series ended in June 1984, um, they did do some more stuff, which I didn't realize. Um, in 1985, it was first broadcast in the U.S., Mm. Um, apparently it was the first non-music show on MTV. No, really? Yeah. That's weird. Um, and then in 1986, so two years after, they reunited for Comic Relief. Um, Cliff Richard one. Yeah, so Comic Relief is like a charity fundraiser. Yeah, I think they have it in America. Oh, do they? Yeah, I think so. So they did, um, I mean, well, aside from the uh, charity single, so they also did um, a live act. So there was some kind of like charity gig, Comic Relief, Three Nights. So they they appeared on on that as well. Um, So when I first saw that, I saw a snippet of it on TV at some point in the late 90s. It blew my mind. Because that had never been made available. I didn't know anything about it. you got to think, like, I was a big obsessive fan. Mm. And uh, I didn't realise there were these extra scraps of young ones out there. Um, So, I mean, just the single and the video in itself, I was like, this is amazing. It's so entertaining. So obviously, like, the Rick character is a big fan of Cliff Richard, which which is brilliant in and of itself as a gag. Yeah. Because... He always goes on about people being square and like Cliff is the squarest <laughs> like guy you could totally have. Like safe, like middle class, like, oh. like nothing, like so bland, like devoid of any kind of anarchistic <laughs> um, sensibility uh, whatsoever. And he always uses Cliff as like an example. Of, um, so he'll say like, you know, when they talk about we shouldn't ever, ever have to clean the toilet, it's like... Do you think when Cliff wrote Wired for Sound, he was sitting on a on a clean lavvy? No way. <laughs> um, but brilliantly, Cliff uh, played along and he joined in mm. with the fun and they did a cover of Cliff Richard's Living Doll, um, which was a big hit, I think. Probably made lots of money for Comic Relief. Yeah, we're to number but, yeah. one. Um... Very memorable. Yeah, good music video. Mm-hmm. Do you like it? Yeah. It's them in the studio, right? Um, yeah. Just shouting out. <laughs> just being obnoxious, really. Being dicks, basically, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like fine. It's like this classic comic relief thing where it's like, let's just stick these things together. Okay, yeah, it's for charity, so like, fine. But it's not, you know, it is what it is, basically. Um, and then that same year, 1986 was the new Ben Elton sitcom, Filthy Rich and Catflap, which ran for one season, only six episodes. Yeah. Starring Rick Mayle, Adrian Edmondson and Nigel Planer, no uh, Christopher Ryan. Mm. Um, but I remember 
back in the 90s, the VHS, it used to have a big quote on the front that said something like, the young ones have grown up and it's horrible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's not quite, you know, obviously it's Ben Elton. It feels more spiteful in a way. Uh, Obviously it hasn't got that same energy as the young ones. Um, But Rick Mayle's fantastic as this uh, obnoxious, self-important actor, jobbing actor, um, with Adrian Edmondson as his kind of like minder, and Nigel Planer as his really seedy agent. Uh, have you seen that, Sam? Yeah, oh, I saw it with you, but this has been many a moon ago, and I haven't seen it since. But I, gen- I generally remember not being as entertained. And I think one of the weird things is that I didn't like, which kind of turned into bottom. I didn't like Nigel Planer's character. No, um, and so when they got rid of him. And it was just them two. That was basically bottom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is the dynamic. I mean, it's the Rick and Aid dynamic throughout, you know, Rick and Vivian bickering and fighting. Yeah. You see it here again. Um, and then, yeah, by the time they get to bottom, you know, it's so refined, um, which I can't remember when bottom started. Was it 1991, maybe? I'd like to hazard a guess. I think so, yeah. It's, it's around that time. It ran for three series till about like 95, maybe. So mm. it was like 18 episodes. Um, bloody brilliant, in my opinion. But it was yeah. a bit of a step back for Rick because um, he'd just finished doing The New Statesman where he played, and that was quite a mainstream kind of sitcom, where he played a really, really vile... A uh, conservative member of parliament, yeah, um, called Alan Bastard, um, yeah. and he got to show quite a different, sort of more maybe sophisticated uh, aspect of his comic acting. Um, mm. And then he goes back to this kind of like vile, disgusting, sad pervert character. But but you know <laughs> yeah. that's what I like from him. That's what he he does so well. Um, yeah, and their characters in 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 Bottom are fantastic. It's, uh, to me, another great classic of uh, British sitcoms. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, I was going to say it as well. They did They did try to do an American um, Young Ones. Do you hear about this? Do you know about this? Tell me. But the only, um, I don't know when it was. I haven't got it here in front of me, but um, I've got, it must it was have been. It 1990. I was going to say, it must have been in the 90s because it had Nigel Planer to return as Neil and it was going to start Jackie Earl Haley who if people don't know who that is um you'd know his face because he was in a lot of stuff he's in a lot of stuff about five years ago but he was the <laughs> um he was Freddy Krueger and then new Nightmare on Elm Street he was Rorschach in Watchmen he was the guy in the jail cell in Shutter Island um he's been in a lot of stuff but he's got like a he's got a very distinctive um face put it that way and yeah, apparently, it, um, it, apparently Nigel Planer was like, after he filmed the pilot, was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, I hope this doesn't actually get picked yeah. up. And um, yeah, it didn't. It didn't. Go, they didn't um, pick it up as a series. And apparently, Nigel Planer was actually quite relieved because apparently it was just shit, <laughs> which you can probably imagine. I'd love to see um, it. I really love to see it. You, when yeah. you sign up for those American pilots. Because they do this in, um, Steve Coogan does this in The Trip, doesn't he? It's something like you sign up for six years or something. You sign up with the intent that it's going to be commissioned. Mm. So he probably had a horrible 
like contract that was going to lock him in to like six yeah. years in America filming, uh, filming. Oh no, not them. Yeah. Apparently, it was going to be called. Oh no, yeah, not right, yeah. them. Oh my god, it just sounds so bad. What awful title. <laughs> yeah, I remember they did because um, uh, they did an American IT crowd, and if you remember this. Um, I worked on IT crowd, by the way, and uh, apparently everyone was jealous of the fact that the only person who went over to the states was Richard Ayuardi. It had no no one else was attached to it. I don't even think Graham Linnett and the writer was attached to it. Um, and it was John McHale was the Chris O'Dowd's character, um, and I can't remember who played the woman. But again, it was one of those things. You can still, I think, you can still see that pilot. Um, but it was just like, what is this? Like. You, you know, when they try and, like they did it with The Office or whatever, and fair enough, and it, it can work sometimes, but when it's exactly the same, there's such a slim margin of success because it's like, just, you know, just do your own thing. I mean, that's where The Office works, for instance, for me, was because the first episode was literally an exact copy, and it's like, why would I want to watch this again? Mm. Like, why, I just watched the original one, but then it became its own thing completely, which is what it should have done. But yeah, with that IT crowd, I was just like, this is exactly the same. And you've got the same person in it. Yeah. And that's why I think that's what's weird is it's like, why have you used the same fucking character? But it's always like the weird one, the the eccentric one who just can't be copied or something like that. Well, it's, it's like, is that really Nigel Planer? <laughs> yeah, it's funny that they zoned in on, on Neil. Like we said, like we both like the Rick character. Um I suppose the Neil character is quite iconic and easy to get into, quite accessible. Um, but he, he, not just for He's that part. Very American, but, like a, the hippie culture. Yeah, that's true. But he seemed to export well, which makes sense, mm-hmm. doesn't it? I suppose Rick is very much a British kind of character. Um, so is Vivian. Yeah. So it's Mike, really. You know, you could do a, you could do a Mike version, but it might just turn out a little bit more like Fonz, yeah. <laughs> which is not what Mike actually is. Mike is like a, basically like a Del Boy yeah. kind of character, not a co- actually cool character. He thinks he's Fonz. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the point, right? Is the fact that he's living as a fucking student with a bunch of nobodies doing fuck all, nothing. He's a complete failure. But yet <laughs> he's like Mike, the cool person. Um yeah, but Nigel Planer, he, he did he did do things. So like 1987, um, like I said, like MTV had aired the series in 85, I think, mm. and they did some kind of like Young Ones Night, and they actually got Nigel Planer to come and guest it. He was like a guest VJ for the whole thing um, mm. as Neil. So yeah. again, if you're looking for more scraps of Young Ones content. Um, someone's put all of the stuff on YouTube, um, so you can see some extra extra Neil. Mm. Um, but and as well, I think he he did spots as Neil, like in Australia, and he kept the character yeah. going. It had a bit more life in it. Um, even as late as two thousand, um, he was being used in adverts. I'm going to send you a link actually, if I can find it. He was in an advert for Castrol. But I like to think that's what he would have been doing around 2000, just still a, an old hippie bumming around Yeah, in his VW yeah, camper van. Yeah. Oh, it could be worse, actually. So this, there's a really obscure thing I found here, an advert from a, probably around 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, and for all those people that kind of go, 
oh, what would the young ones have been like if they'd grown up? And I've even seen like Lisa Mayer saying, oh, I wish we'd done a, a sequel at some point, like the middle-aged ones and all this kind of thing, mm-hmm. which would have been terrible, of course. But but people always kind of do that, don't they? They're like, oh, what would they, what would they have been like when they grew up? And, you know, and it's always like a, like I said, it's a strap line for Filthy Rich and Catflap. So people obviously wanted to see it. Um, yeah, it reminds me of that. Did you see that Saturday Night Live sketch with the middle-aged te- middle-aged mutant ninja turtles? No, they did it in the same like um, as the cartoon. They did it in the same style, but it's all just them having these like midlife crises. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually quite funny. Um, um, yeah, sorry, come. But um, I mean, it, so it, it happened. You don't have to imagine anymore. You can see um, there was an advert. So it's only like a minute long, but they got Neil and Vivian uh, to do an advert for a company called Friends Provident. So you can actually see what they would have been like as basically like early 90s yuppie traders. It's quite good, actually, I thought, isn't it? Yeah, it, it wasn't too um, cringy as I thought it would. Yeah. I like the idea that it's not just them themselves, but a bit older, but like they've actually had like a character overhaul. And they're not students anymore. And they're actually like living a like middle class, <laughs> it's or upper class, whatever life. It's actually quite logical. Like that's what might could have happened to them. They're both, uh, you know, investing money and shopping at a supermarket. Um, yeah. But so Neil's obviously done it in a uh, way that's ethically sound. Yeah. I like how you're still using the word chilled. breadhead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk to my breadhead. Uh, anyway, shall we move into Nerd's Corner? Um, so Dan, Nerd Corner this week yeah. uh, took a dive into the fact that there's actually a Young Ones computer game. Way. Uh, um, and it is one of the worst things ever. <laughs> um, it was released in 1986 uh, for the Amstrad, Commodore 64, and the um, ZX Spectrum. It was developed by Orpheus, who I have no idea what they did before or after. Um, and do you, do you know anything about this whatsoever? I read something about it maybe five years ago, but I never remember seeing it or having or i've never played it that's for sure so right well same here um and i I watched the whole thing someone's few people have done a like a you know a whole run through of the entire game (laughs) how long did that take it's like half an hour it's not actually that long but i think it's because it's a part of the so what the game's actually about is that you've essentially this kind of screen is split into like three parts um horizontally if that makes sense yeah so um you're in the house you pick a character of the four young ones um and the idea is that you've got to pick up all your stuff from around the house and leave the house basically that is the goal of the game whilst you're doing that the other characters who are computer um ai basically um are going around doing their own thing and you basically, it's kind of like a little bit point and click adventure game style in the sense of it's like pick this up, interact with this and all that. Um, so like the top bit is like menu commands like talk or action or whatever. 
which is basically what you're looking at the whole time because you're doing stuff. And then the next two bits are like the two floors of the house. Okay. And you're basically walking around just trying to figure out like, it's like one thing where it's something like um, to get a anarchy badge for Rick, you have to get a bottle top from a beer can and send it in the post or something like something really ridiculous. It's those okay. classic, it was a whole problem that people had with point and click adventures anyway. And, and to this day, um, less so now, but especially when it, in its, in its heyday with like LucasArts and all this stuff um, was that the, the how to solve the puzzle just didn't make sense. It's like, no one's going to know that unless, yeah. you know, unless you actually ask someone or read it up. It's not intuitive. And if, yeah. And that was a problem a lot. Apparently a lot of people had um, back in the day with the game is that it wasn't clear what you even were supposed to do. <laughs> there was no instructions. There was nothing on it. Apparently there was like, it came with a poster with some vague description of that you have to like get out of the house, but no one knew like, how, you know, how to get out, how to, how to get, you know, uh. what, what was happening. Um, and basically there are bits of like, there's like on-screen um, dialogue bubbles where, which are kind of, um, you know, it's like Neil going, oh no, heavy, I guess I have to put down this flamethrower or something. And then, so they're trying to like hint at telling you like what to do. But anyway, it looks like so dull and so dreadful, it's, you know, and it kind of got panned at the time. Who are you playing quite, as? You could play as anyone. You could play as one, any of the four. Any of the four? Yeah. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. And do you um, see little sprites, sprites. Of the characters? Yeah, but it's oh, not so like, good. yeah, but it's like, bear in mind, it's, like it's one colour, so it's not like there's anything <sighs> that differentiating about them. The novelty of it though, Sam, I would have been the Go ahead. perfect audience you can watch it. for this you game. Can watch, you can, you can <laughs> well, that's part of what the thing is that people are saying, the game is awful and it's just got little hints towards the series. Like I think it's got like the, um, you know, Vivian's punk hamster and all that stuff. <gasps> we didn't even talk about him. SPG, yeah. Special Patrol Group. That's right, yeah. Oh. Um, but yeah, he's in it, uh, for instance. There's, there's these little like nods and winks, but yeah, just, Jesus, it just looks so fucking boring. <laughs> and apparently they did like consult with, um, you know, Rick and Ben and all this stuff about um, the game and all this. But um, yeah, I mean, how much of a fuck are they going to give really? Or even know by this point, remember it's 1986 and computers are still, computer games are still in their early days. Yeah. Um, and that's basically it. So it's um, it was made in the UK, um, and oh god, I think it, yeah. I'm just reading it here. It sold over ten thousand copies, hmm. mainly through Boots and Woolworths. <laughs> can I buy Two one? British. I don't know. Can you? Probably. You can. You can. I'm sure you can get it on an emulator or whatever. But um, I don't even know. Like it just sounds dreadful. But yeah, apparently there was like a bug where you couldn't pick up one of the things or something like that. <laughs> so some games out there, you just could never complete it. Wow. Because um, if you think about it, you know, you can update games these days, but you couldn't back then. Um, so yeah, it got, it, a lot of people were just like, it's a bit shit, but if you like young ones, you might like it. Um, I'd probably yeah. I'd probably love it just for the novelty. Um, and I'm going to have a look for it. I, I kind of want to see what the packaging looks like because <laughs> I really like yeah. that kind of thing. Um, it's the it's the kind of you know the cut out um newspaper style yeah that's really cool um on the box um i so, uh, yeah i almost cried the day when i had to replace my two double vhs packs with um 
with DVD release because <laughs> the artwork on those was so good. Just like all these like baked beans and like fag ends and uh, flies yeah, and like soiled paper. And the um, they sort of had a go at that. It made this like British kind of punk look on the DVD. But mm. it was just too slick. Um, but those those uh, video packs, they took up too much space, so they had to go. But uh, they were a thing of beauty. Yeah. Well, yeah, keep keep hold of them. Um, they're gone. They're though. gone. Oh, they're gone. All right, well, see ya. Um, <laughs> um, I've got a bit more nerd, nerding to do. Oh, go on, yeah. So, I mean, it seems like the young ones branched out into all possible media avenues. <laughs> so... Um, I've got a couple of books and some music to talk about. Ooh, cool. um, so in 1984, to tie in with the second series, uh, there was a book which was written by Ben Elton, Rick Mayer and Lisa Mayer. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, to me, it's like canon, you know, and it's really good. Uh, it's called Bachelor Boys. And I just, I used to, again, as much as I was watching the episodes, I used to pour over this book. Uh, I just find it absolutely hilarious. Um, just loads of like really nonsense stuff. Um, all the characters there. Um, the thing that stands out in my mind, I always remember it's like a parody for matey bubble bath. <laughs> this horrible picture of Rick sitting in, <laughs> sitting in the bath going, <laughs> you can wash your willy as fast as you like and mum need never know. They ought to call it wanky, right kids? <laughs> <laughs> Which, to me, is like the height of hilarity at the time. Uh, but um, no, I'd heard of that. Uh, it's great. Um, I only ever saw it twice um, at car boot sales, I think, and I bought it both times, so I got two copies. Um, the other book that came out in 1984, which is referenced in Bachelor Boys, um, is Neil's Book of the Dead, and this, again, like being a big fan, but not having access to information or eBay or anything like this, I was kind of like, is that a real thing or is it a joke? Neil's Book of the Dead. Um, and I used, I used to think about it all the time. <laughs> and right. one day, again, probably like 10 years later, I was in a secondhand bookshop and I saw it. I saw the spine. You know, and you got to think, I, I hadn't even been sure if it existed, but it does. Uh, and I bought it, of course. Um, so this is kind of like a parody on a kind of like spiritual uh, kind of text. Um, it's written by Nigel Plano and a chap called Terence Blacker, who I've never heard of. Uh, it's not as funny. Um, and it's completely Neil-centric. Um, so there's think lots of like recipes for lentil stews and things like that. So if you're really into Neil, uh, it's worth getting. But the, like the cover's so cool, it really looks like some like 1967 album. Um, speaking of albums, 1984 also Neil um, hit number two in the UK charts with his smash hit single "Hole in My Shoe." Do you remember that one? Uh, yeah, yeah cover of the traffic song it's great because it's the most absurd psychedelic rock song of the late 60s um it's all this nonsense like was it i looked in the sky where an elephant's eye was looking at me from a bubblegum tree um 
So it's great. And again, you can go on YouTube and see loads of uh, appearances he did to promote it on like Top of the Pops. And uh, I think he went to Australia and promoted it and appeared on some TV shows there. Um, and sometimes he he, do, he does the, the vocal live, so he changes up the lyrics and things. It's quite good fun. Um, but that was a number two smash hit single. There was a follow-up, My White Bicycle, which reached number 97. So that was the end, I think, of, of Neil as a commercial prospect. Um, right. But again, back in the day, my sister had a copy of like one of the Now That's What I Call Music compilation albums, and mm-hmm. it had Hole in My Shoe. And next to it was a tiny little thumbnail picture of the album that it had come from. So right. I knew that there was a whole album. Um, and again, it was only about four years ago, the first time I've ever seen a copy in a record shop. Um, so I grabbed it. It was like pound fifty. I've been waiting years to find this thing. Neil's Heavy Concept album. <laughs> um, um, and it's kind of okay. It's pretty silly. Um, co-produced by... Dave Stewart from Eurythmics. Um, I think Rick makes one contribution on one thing and a few, a few of the other characters pop up, but it's mostly kind right. of like Neil doing silly parodies and uh, bits of dialogue that aren't all that good. So weird. Um, yeah, I didn't even know that existed either. Huh? I didn't know that existed either. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's, it's not surprising that it's kind of like vanished, I think. Right. Um, I'd love to see someone dredge it up and do, I mean, yeah, maybe I should do a Dreadful Discs video uh, taking a look at that one day. <laughs> we should say as well, like Ben Elton, um, you know, we haven't really spoken that much about him, but he went on to be, if people don't know, like highly successful. successful. Yeah, he sold like out. He wrote, yeah, he did sell out, yeah, a lot of people would say. But he sold like a ton of best-selling books, Um but he also did like a whole bunch of musicals, like the Queen musical, which is still running as far as I know, yeah. um, on fucking Tottenham Court Road, um, Charing Cross, whatever. But uh, um, yeah, he wrote that um, and he wrote a whole bunch of other stuff. Blackadder, well, before he sold out, he yeah. did Blackadder with Richard Curtis, which yeah. is very good. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's mad when you think about it. Um uh, But yeah, so I just like get that in Sweet London, Nerd Corner, because I just suddenly thought, we haven't actually spoken about probably the most successful one out of the whole lot of them. And we haven't spoken about Lisa Mayer, who went on to do Mm. nothing. So that's all there is to say about her. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, what do we... She must have done something afterwards, though. Do we know? I don't... I really don't think she did. I mean, I'm thinking about this, whether I was going to go on record and say it, but I think I am. You know, I think she was the right place at the right time, and it was pretty opportunistic. Mm. You know, Rick had the idea and she was his girlfriend at the time. So they, you know, she was around to contribute and throw in ideas. I'm not, I'm not saying that she didn't contribute. Um, we don't really know specifically what each of them did bring to the table, but, you know, she wouldn't have probably yeah. gone and written something off her own volition. She was there while Rick was kind of like brewing this thing. Well, she went out with um, Angus Deaton after Rick Mail. Um, and I, I've only just looking at this now. I realised because Angus Deaton, if you don't know, was a um, he was a British comedian, but he was like a comedy actor, and he presented a show called Have I Got News for You, which is very popular, where mm-hmm. it's a satire about the week in the news, basically. Um, and he got done basically because he was like, 
having sex with prostitutes and taking loads of drugs yeah. and like and all this. And he was, I, I imagine, was with Lisa Mayer when um, all this was happening. Then she must have been the the wife. But yeah, just looking at what she's done, she did a lot of television. Basically, she did some stuff for Fast Show, uh, another British TV uh, comedy thing, um, Casualty, apparently. And she was a writer slash consultant for The Borrowers. Um, Flushed Away is the only other film that I've seen. And that's basically it. Um, she, she wrote for your Bachelor Boys Young Ones book. Writing um, for Casualty. I mean, that is that is a step into the mainstream that is uh, comparable only to that of Adrian Edmondson in later years, who's propped up, I think, the absolute nadir is that he's been in EastEnders now. Hey, Agent Edmondson. Yeah, you he's in Star Wars. That's what I talking to you. Star, yeah. Well, no, well, no, Star Wars. I mean, that's that's still kind of like cool that he's done that. Oh, but what's right. but okay. bad is like at some point about fifteen years ago, I feel like he kind of went. I need to just have a crack at being a serious uh, actor now. Oh yeah, get, he did a bit of that. Get he roles in some, mainstream like, weird, drama. Yeah, he did some weird like daytime shit as well. I think um, EastEnders. I mean, come on, it's awful. Yeah. That's well, Danny Dyer's on it. So um, he was Vivian. He was Vivian. Yeah, but if, I mean, like, it's fair enough. Like that was listening to this thing, and he was like, "I was only I was Vivian for only like twelve episodes." <laughs> <laughs> like out of all the stuff he did, it wasn't like he. I think he doesn't feel like it's like his career defining moment well, to wrong. him because it's well, yeah, exactly. Um, I would say probably Bottom. It was he was a better character in Bottom. Eddie anyway, Hitler, but yeah. Um, guys, so that's the end of Nerd Corner. Dan, I think we're going to do um, final impressions before we go into our reviews. Are you ready for final impressions? Oh, yes. Um, I- I'll give mine first. Okay. Uh, and basically, Young Ones is, I think, a critical um, part of uh, comedy generally, but also the British comedy scene, and is definitely like one of my favorite comedy series of all time so it's definitely up there and it's great to see rick mail again watching it again and watching rick do his thing was really like really nice and it still feels fresh it still feels relevant um and even though it's like it might be a bit tough for people to watch these days um the fact that it's very 80s and it's quite surreal and all this stuff but i think it moves on so quickly and like the audiences these days as well the fact that they have like no patience yeah. for anything. I think we'd actually quite enjoy it. Yeah. It never sits in one place for too long. That's a good point. Um, and yeah, I think it's uh, something, you know, for the sake of, if you've watched one episode and you like it, it's all consistently of a high quality, I think. Um, and it's great. And it was the start of a whole new way of looking at comedy. And it kickstarted the careers of so many British comedians who, all right, might not be particularly famous um, across the sea in you know around the world but definitely inspired those who are famous in america um and that's super important so yeah um go out and watch it because it's great very um, well said Dan, Dan, um i want you to give your final impression and i, I want to see if you can do it and okay i'll tell you what i'll give you the choice is yours okay we've already heard your nil so in either Rick, Vivian, or Mike's voice. Oh my god! You you pick which out of those three would you? I think Mike do? is the most 
achievable. Mike is the most achievable, but I think he might, he's also slightly difficult because it might sound a bit too normal. Yeah. <laughs> I need to think, what is my final impression? Hmm. I thought you would maybe go for Rick. I was just going to say Rick, but um, I thought, no, let's give him a choice. Mike. This is a brilliant TV show. I agree with everything Sam said. However, I would like to say that it's probably not advisable to let your children watch this at a time of great personal development, which is what Dan did. He watched too much Young Ones and Bottom intensively at a very formative point in his childhood. And I don't think it's really very healthy. Um, and he's, uh, he's proof of that. Uh, that was my Rick. I was going to say it. That's not Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you've been watching the wrong yeah. <laughs> Got your characters mixed up. I suddenly, um, I suddenly bought. That's pretty. That's pretty good though. I quite enjoyed that. I wasn't. Um, oh. I wasn't expecting. Uh, I was expecting Mike. <laughs> so the Adrian Edmondson doing Mike thing is like, what does he say? He goes, um, "I want to wash my smalls, and I don't mean dip my tiddlies in a glass of water." Yeah, but um, that's not quite how Christopher Ryan speaks. No, he's Christopher Ryan speaks more like a second-hand car. Salesman. I think AIDS does a bit of a transatlantic drawl that isn't quite yeah. spawn. I think he's trying to do more like charming when it's like, I don't know. Um, that's good. Anyway, let's hear some of the reviews from other people. I hate it. Um, okay, Dan, here are some reviews. Uh, let's start with the shit ones that they, the people who thought the young ones was awful this is mark 53 gave it one out of five stars uh subject might have been funny once my god i can't believe how puerile this is i actually thought it was funny first time round. before ben out and joined the establishment which he professed to hate so much in his youth he wrote this bright on drivel whatever that means uh, right old drivel if he's probably trying to say that years later it's just plain childish characters are irritating and it's a wonder they went on to anything of note well sort of in mel's case Storylines travel the same path with lots of silly slapstick stolen from Lauren Hardy and trendy anti-government tirades, which if you weren't part of Thatch's Britain, you wouldn't understand. It is also samey. I mean, how many jokes about hippies do you need? Or Alexis Sale rants. rants. Um, I'm sorry this is crap and just showed how limited Ben Elton's writing style is. The follow-up Filthy Rich was practically The Young Ones Part 2 and even more trivial. Um, I think that's just a bit inaccurate. He's obviously focused there on Ben Elton, hasn't appreciated that there's other writers involved. Yeah. Um, Filthy Rich and Cat Flap is very much not The Young Ones Part 2, as much as the BBC probably wanted to push it as that. Um, that's a bit lazy. It's a bit lazy. I just don't... I just missed all the point of what's good about it. Well, next up is Dick Pearson. Subject, a dissenting voice. He's giving it one out of five. Dick Pearson. Oh. Dick Pearson. <laughs> Dick Pearson. Um, mostly only funny if you find shout shouting and rudeness amusing. Didn't enjoy them when they were new and find them even less endearing now. I mean, I like shouting and rudeness. I do find them funny things. Um, 
But again, I think he's missed a lot of the uh, complexity, actually, and sophistication that's uh, that's in within the show. Well, I found his comment hilarious because I was picturing him shouting it, and I found it quite rude. So um, <laughs> I thought he did quite well there. I can imagine his um, his, his Prince Albert flapping around as he's shouting and losing his temper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the next one is, and this is probably my favourite, um, Simon B, one out of five. Uh, subject, surely not real. What? Was that it? <laughs> no, hold on, I haven't, I haven't started yet. <laughs> I'm really not sure about this documentary on student life. Seems a bit far-fetched. Are we honestly supposed to believe that they know Bamba, Gascoigne and Motorhead? The camera work is awful. Looks like it was filmed in the 80s. Um, <laughs> this guy's taking the piss, isn't he? Yeah, I think he is. Uh, um, but I like the idea that someone actually thought that. It could um, be, it could be. Now, the people that loved it, five out of five stars. Uh, this guy hasn't got a name. Back to the days of viewing TV in your bedroom on the great big portable. See what you think about this, Dan. There are some great reviews on this one, and I would not dream of attempting to type a long and boring effort. So just a quick one for me. I was a youth of the 80s. I'm 47 old woman now. Okay. <laughs> just like, another missed out year. Yeah. I'm 47 old woman now. <laughs> I cannot, I cannot believe how I left it so long to relive the experience. Very funny, very naughty and all jolly good fun. If only we had something on TV now that came near to touching on comic genius. I rather think I had and still do have more than a touch of nil in me. Sometimes <laughs> other, t- other times Rick. <laughs> I used to watch this series in my bedroom on the big portable TV. Back in the days, portable TVs were huge and heavy. Now they're all credit card slim and as light as a feather. Lol. So much wrong with that. (laughs) All in all, a must-have for your collection. RIP to the brilliant actor and comic genius that was Rick Mail. But like the idea, it's like, I used to watch this series in my bedroom on the big portable TV. Big portable TV. I mean... (laughs) Is it just a TV then? <laughs> it's a TV that you did somehow manage to move despite it being quite difficult like negotiate all it up TVs the stairs. Are, all TVs are portable yeah. to a degree. Yeah. I like the way it's like, oh, it's so huge and heavy. It's like, yeah, because it's a fucking TV. <laughs> <laughs> not, if it's huge and heavy, it's not something you're taking from room to room. Like a credit card slim. Also, there's, no, there's nothing that's credit card slim. You have, to, you have to spend like £10,000 on a TV that's credit card slim at the moment. Uh, anyway. It's a nice uh, uh, sort of rose-tinted reminiscence there from her. That's uh, True. Uh, um, and this last one is from Daz. I gave it five out of five. And the subject, the young ones, was like bottom untouchable and will remain that way forever. <laughs> um, bottom untouchable. <laughs> Uh, so he says, the young ones, so it's starting, it's, it's the first line of the thing. The young ones was like, bottom untouchable. <laughs> What's that mean? What? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> bottom untouchable. God, this is like, this is like bottom untouchable. <laughs> I can't, uh, okay. I don't know what that means. That's <laughs> like the idea. It was like the idea of just an untouchable bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Can't <touch> this. <laughs> um, nothing like it has been or will ever be seen again. <laughs> Sadly, Rick Mayo is no longer with us, but his comedy will keep us laughing forever. Shame Nigel Planner vanished. 
thought he would have made a good replacement for Rick if there was ever a chance of making another bottom series with Aid Edmondson. What? <laughs> do you imagine that? That's, that's quite... Um, do you know that they were going to do a fourth bottom series? Um, no. Well, immediately after they were going to, and it kind of got put on ice, but then it was going to be brought back about 15 years ago. And it got announced right. and everything that it had been commissioned and that they were working on the script, uh, Rick and Aid. And then not long after that, it was canned. Right. And they just said they had creative differences and they couldn't do it. And Aid well, said, did, I can't um, work with Rick anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. Kind of fair enough. They did guest house Paradiso, which is... Uh, oh, it's terrible. Which is bottom of the film. Um, yeah, it wasn't great. To be honest, there were some bits I found quite funny. But again, it was that weird thing of like, doesn't work in like a Hollywood proper film setting. There's something about having it on TV as part of a sitcom on a stage, whatever, and all this stuff and with canned laughter, they, just things like that. They played up all the worst aspects of Bottom. That when people think of that don't like it, think of Bottom. They just think of like knob knob gags and farting and yeah, wanking, kicking each other in the balls and all this. But there's so much more to it than that. It's the squalor. It's the fact that you've got you know you've got the sort of upstairs downstairs of classic British comedy, which is usually based on a sort of upper middle class character who doesn't realise that they've got ideas above their station. And then you've got kind of got like the lower class character who's a bit more happy-go-lucky, um, mm-hmm. is actually having a probably just as, you know, is having just as bad a life, but is enjoying it more because they don't have these ridiculous aspirations. And you put those two characters in a really bad situation, this vile, horrible little flat, and you just stick them in there and kind of like stir them up. Um, and all of that dynamic is lost in Guest House parody. So mm-hmm. it's just horrible. Yeah, it's just, yeah, you're right. It's kind of taking the characters out of Ugh. that space, yeah. which is actually quite important and putting them just somewhere you else. You need it's that weird. desperation. It's weird as well because it's like, so in Hammersmith, so to me, Bottom was always set in Hammersmith. Yeah. And it's always like, it's fucking shithole. And I ended up working there for like, in Hammersmith for like three years or something and it's a shithole. But they've got like a bench there, which is for the um, uh, credits of Bottom. Um, it's in the beginning opening credits yeah. where they're sitting on a bench and yeah, they've got it still there dedicated to Rick Mail. Oh, is um, that? Huh. Sat, yeah. Um, oh, nice. So yeah, I used to like go past it every now and then. Um, oh, I'd love that. Mm, yeah, it's still there. Um, hey, where do yeah, you think the young ones is set? Uh, I don't know. I just presumed it was in London somewhere. It's never really stated. I think, in a couple of episodes, I read this earlier, um, Neil is seen wearing a University of London jumper or something, but it's kind of like, you know, it's universal. They could be any British students. They go to scumbag college. Yeah. Which is, could be literally anywhere. anywhere yeah. um, another thing before we go, Dan, do you think there was a fifth housemate? Um, <laughs> so I know what this is about. Um, no. What do you think? Well, Lisa, Lisa Mayer, so for those that don't know, there's like loads of shots where someone with like long hair, like fucking ring or something. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of like in the background of scenes and all this stuff. And sometimes it's in the foreground. Um, and it's the idea that they've got like a housemate or like a fucking like ghost or something who just lives there with them. But um, apparently the idea is that it's just someone just like 
hanging out after a party. They're just, it's kind of just around rather than an actual housemate. It's just someone, when you get someone who just doesn't leave, if you've had like a house party, it's just kind of that gag just pulled to the extreme. They showed great commitment to it as well. I think it was something more that like um, the directors and producers threw in there rather than in the script. Mm -hmm. But he's he's in the first episode in the pilot, Demolition, and he's still there like in the second series a few um i think uh, at least one sighting of him so really good commitment to like keeping that going um but i love how yeah it's just totally random and once you've watched it f- you know 50 <laughs> 50 times you do start to see hey what's what's that doing there and in, never referenced or spoken about but um yeah. i love little things like that there's other little kind of visual ticks and quirks did you notice in the second series episodes some of those um tiny little just a few frames of footage of things subliminal stuff yeah Mm. i thought that was quite a good idea that again it never quite paid off or came to any uh fruition so i always used to wonder about that as a kid it's like what is this well apparently in the last episode they were going to have one that had something like um a subliminal message from uh, the head of the bbc guy whatever his name was saying something do you know this already no uh, saying something like, oh, these subliminal clips um, are bad. I do not endorse them or something. Uh, but, who, but who gives a fuck or something? And that was going to be like the end. But apparently before they released it, um, yeah, Paul Jackson got called into the guy's office. He was like, what's with all these subliminal stuff that people are complaining about in this thing? And he was like, oh, yeah, well, we're doing it. And then it's going to lead up and have this message from you actually saying this or whatever. And he was like, yeah don't do that so it's like okay so yeah it didn't ever pay off it was just something weird i think it's also supposed to be a bit of um a uh like supposed to be kind of talking about how at the time there was a lot of because bear in mind this was like video nasty shit and all this stuff is still going on and people were still up in arms about you know the kids and and playing records backwards and all this stuff like satan speaking to them whatever and all this so that you know it was kind of used to kind of play on that um in terms of poking fun at it but also to kind of like shake up the establishment <laughs> for all the older people to be like what was that what the fuck um and i think as well they said that it's something for like vhs people um so that they could pause that little nuggets like that yeah that they could little easter eggs i suppose they're called now well i did um, i used to pause it and look and think like what what is what is it I try and decipher some kind of message <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there was any. Uh, <laughs> it's really random. Um, some of them are blatant as well. Like they're not even like subliminal. Some of them are like a full like second. Yeah. Um, like there's the the Western ending or whatever over Mike's face in I think it's Bambi actually. Yeah. And um, it's like that's a full thing. Like you can't miss that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite funny. Anyway, Dan, that's it. That's Young Ones. That was good. How do you feel? Um. I feel like I want to just watch them all again, really. Yeah, it's a good watch. But yeah, I think you guys in America can still, well, you can get them on iTunes and all this stuff, obviously, but um, I think Comedy Central might still play them every now and then. Um, it's worth digging out, but yeah, just check them. You can find clips on YouTube and all this stuff, obviously. Um, so now uh, that was a TV show um, and we were pointing out to each other that, uh, because this is all cast movies, music and gaming, that we shouldn't really have done an episode <laughs> on this. 
in theory. Um, so yeah, we're going to kind of change up uh, what we're doing just a little bit. Um, and each week we're going to choose, uh, we're going to go in sequential order with the odd surprise here and there. Um, so we're going to do a movie next week. And from my list, Dan, we are going to find out what movie we're going to be watching. Are you ready? I'm ready. Press the button. And it's blank for some reason, so I press it again. <laughs> and, oh, God, I don't know if I can watch this again. <sighs> Human Centipede. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. It's def- definitely an odd one. Uh, yeah, it certainly is. Have you seen it? Uh, I have. I have. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen all of them? Uh, no, no, I can't. Uh, I find it absolutely repellent. So mm. um, I'll watch it through. Maybe I'll maybe I'll listen to it. I'll get the audio book. Listen to it. <laughs> That'd be worse, surely. Um, okay, well, it looks like next week we're doing uh, Human Centipede. So, Dan, any final thoughts? Yeah. Anything you want to leave everyone with? Let's all have a nice, nice mouth the shitty anus time and we'll see you again in a week (laughs) see you then bye thanks for joining us on the oddcast guys we're part of a new winter group so head on over to newwinter.com to check out our other shows go to patreon.com slash newwinter to support the network you can email us at oddcastoddballs at gmail.com and follow this and our other shows on twitter and instagram at a new winter So, see you next time on The Oddcast. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.